Welcome to the SBCA Podcast, Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, we are going to talk about home building. Today's home builders are facing a lot of headwinds, from increased interest rates and regulatory burdens to building material cost increases and labor shortages. Joining me today is Jim Tobin, the new president and CEO of the National Association of Home Builders, to share what his organization is doing to make home construction easier. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, Jim, you've been with the National Association of Home Builders for a long time. For those who don't know, can you briefly share your background prior to taking the reins at NEHB? It does seem like a, a lifetime. Yeah. So I'm coming up on my 25th uh, anniversary in September, joining NHB. So a great place to work. I grew up on the government affairs side at NHB. I did a couple of stints on Capitol Hill in the, the mid the mid to late 90s. And, and what's there's something unique about getting fired by 750,000 voters in your district that's, that's kind of humbling. And at that point, I was tired of looking for a job every couple of years. And, and knowing NHB's reputation of the Hill at the time was really important because when you're starting out as a lobbyist, you don't have your own name yet. So walking into a congressional office with NAHB is is the lead. It really opens a lot of doors for you as you build your own reputation. That's what happened to me over those early years. And then you find what a great place it is to work, how great the members are, realizing you're such you're such a big part of the economy where you're 15% of US GDP. These are men and women who are building the American dream. It's been really powerful. And, and then you get to work on some really interesting issues over those years too, which has fueled my my desire to stay with them. Well, you raise a really good point. I mean, when you are visiting with members on Capitol Hill, you're representing a significant part of the U.S. economy, right? So that's got to help. With all of those years, with the perspective of being the chief lobbyist for any age, you're always having to talk about what the needs are of your members and that kind of thing. Like, how did that prepare you for this role you have stepped into now where you get to have some control and say in sort of the direction and all those kinds of things? Yeah, it's a new challenge for me uh, and one that I want to undertake. After 20 years in the government affairs space, what was interesting to me was going, taking that, that next leap to the C-suite, so to speak. Uh, as much as that was, I was already there, so to speak, it was the ability to do different things. It, it, as much as advocacy remains one of, if not the top priority for our members and what NHB brings to the table, managing those other corners of the association world is really important membership. Federation issues are really important to us. Managing the whole staff now, uh, those are the things that drove me to try to seek this job. The advocacy piece made it easy for members to recognize me and know that we're all, that's going to be taken care of. But for me professionally, and, and I do say what the, what the builders want was my long perspective and now transferring that into how can we move HV forward uh, over the, uh, the next decades. Well, I want to get into that, like where you're going, but I think it's important to look backwards just a little bit. I mean, you, again, have seen a lot of change at NEHB, particularly with riding through that prolonged downturn. Our industry also hemorrhaged a lot of members. We really suffered a lot through how long that lasted. I can only imagine you guys felt that in spades each year that it went on. 
I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about the ways in which NEHB has grown stronger coming out of that downturn? What are the things that you would hang your hat on right now with NEHB? Yeah, the Great Recession, we started with 240,000 members in 2006. That was the height of the housing boom. And then by the time we exited, right now we're still, we've been kind of flat at 140,000 members. So think about that, 100,000 members have left the association, but more importantly, most of those just left the industry altogether. A lot of consolidation coming out of the Great Recession. A lot of members got overextended and couldn't continue through. A lot of people hanging out by the skin of their teeth, if you remember those days. And it wasn't, it, 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 the recessions are either shallow and long or they're short and deep. And that one was long and deep. And, and so I think coming out the other side, I think you realize it's a more concentrated industry. I think there's a sense of survivability for those that made it, number one, or number two. And then, and I think number three it has kept them wary. Remember, we can, we're right now, the industry is in a, the housing market's in a housing deficit by, but you know, there's different estimates out there. We're, we say a million and a half units behind, some say 5 million units behind, but let's call it 3 million just for fun. Sure. That was an effect of, of the Great Recession and members not wanting to get overextended again. We think that the good times are always going to keep rolling. So they've been layer on regulation and land use policies and things like that. But I do think that the hangover from the Great Recession has been more about let's manage what's right in front of us, make sure we have a pipeline for the future, but don't get overextended again because you just don't want to get caught flat-footed. Right. I mean, that's true in our industry as well. Uh, Those who survive learned how to operate lean and mean. There's been a lot of consolidation. And now you have this sense where, well, yeah, it's really good, but in any moment, we remember what that pain feels like and it's we COVID, don't want to feel that again. Right? Just, we are, we're just three years removed from the COVID. Who saw that coming, right? right? And now every time I talk to somebody like, well, we have to prepare for the next pandemic. Like, really? Because it's, we're talking 1917 was the last time we went through this. Right. I'm hoping that I won't be around for the next pandemic. But you saw that huge disruption, even though the housing industry and construction in particular really accelerated in 2020 in, a, in kind of a defined gravity moment. I do really think that you're right. You're just waiting. Is, is there always another shoe or what's around that corner? And so I think there's a little bit more cautious, optimistic, but still cautious. Well, and one could argue that's probably a pretty good thing, right? I mean, particularly on our side of the supply chain, having a steady increase as opposed to what we saw coming out of the pandemic, that V yeah. increase, right. but this, it's much easier for the supply chain to grow gradually as opposed to try to suddenly meet a spiking demand, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and all, all you do is you spike suppliers are, are strapped, hiring more workers, putting more product out there. We saw what happened in the inflationary environment. Yeah, I agree. I think a manageable kind of long-term year-over-year increase, that's the way That's the way to, to, to for companies to grow uh, and avoid some of the, some of the inflation spikes saw over the last couple of years. Uh, although there, there is that ominous, like you said in your podcast yesterday that you pray at the uh, altar of Robert Dietz, your uh, chief <laughs> economist. I love that line. Thanks. But we didn't, I mean, the whole housing industry in some ways does. Don't tell him that. But <laughs> That's right. I, I've heard him say recently, it's like, but you look at the demographics, it's we're really trying to have that prolonged growth. But coming to the 30s, the demographics don't look very promising, right? I'm curious, like how you as an association are sort of keeping that in the back of your mind, but still trying to facilitate and help your members grow now. Yeah. The, the key, we, we got to get past this, the rate environment we're in now. Obviously, okay. supply chains are are starting to ease, which is great. The next big challenge in, in that, once we accelerate into 2024, I think that's the pivot year 
we talked, I put Rob on the spot a year, a year from now, where interest rates, you think maybe they start to ease a little bit and they get back mm-hmm. to what he would call neutral monetary policy. But what we need to prepare our members for uh, is get the regulatory burdens out of the way. If we're going to, if we're going to meet the demand that is, is out there and is pent up, then we need government to be as much a partner with us uh, as anybody uh, just for the because we don't we want to avoid what happened in 2020 where the demand is so high we can't meet it prices spike and who knows where we're headed so our goal now is to kind of lay this kind of fertile ground for that acceleration into the second half of the 2020s and really prepare our members to be ready to meet that demand so it's whatever business tools we can provide but but more importantly just trying to get the local governments understand there's a, there's an opportunity to fulfill those housing needs in their communities. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's squarely in your skill set, right? You've been living and breathing that regulatory environment for a long time. And yeah, that sense of having 2022, 2021 freshly in our minds and that, what that spike looked like for everyone. Right. It's easy to go to government officials and say, look what happened. Everything fell apart. We don't want to repeat that. I, I'm curious then to that extent, like what are you telling your members to do? Like, are you trying to build a grassroots, like get involved with your local planning boards? I mean, some of them are already doing that. What are some of the things that you as an association are sort of pushing your members to do? Yeah, clearly it's stay active, right? That's yeah. the main thing. And remind in, in remind remind local government officials that that housing we always say housing equals jobs. So if you want economic growth in your communities, uh, you've got to provide the housing that goes along with those jobs. You, we've seen this explosion in battery factories, car manufacturers. I mean, areas across the country, and they always ask the same question after they visit these locations and say, "Okay, where are you going to build housing for all these workers we're going to bring in?" And there's this I don't know moment, and that's where our home builders have to be ready to activate and say, look, we can help you. These are the kind of homes we need to build. Starter homes. So many local communities see factories come in and say, oh, we're going to build half a million or three quarter of a million dollar homes for all the executives. That's what we want. And then you realize that the line workers who aren't making six figure salaries, uh, you know, that's the real workforce housing that you need to build. And how do you do that? Um, and, and, and just reminding them that having our builders in their communities remember uh, that regulations always increase the cost of housing. If you want to build an affordable product, you got to be mindful of how you regulate the home construction. And that's really the key issue. And remember that we're a partner, that we're here to build for local community, firefighters, nurses. We want people to live in the communities that they serve, where their families play, they go to church, where they where their kids play baseball and soccer or lacrosse. Like that, that we're, you know, our builders are fabrics of the community. And their best interests are lying in making sure the community succeeds. Yeah. Jim, so you've mentioned the regulatory burden, trying to address that, this idea of trying to have sustained growth and to be able to provide more affordable housing. I'm curious, are there any other sort of top priorities that you have now that you have spent some time as the president and CEO, looked at you know the broad picture, like things that you want to get done? Yeah, I want to strengthen the federation. That we, we're a federation of over 600 state and local associations, and we all function better when the three tiers of the NHP federation work, work uh, best. So it's making sure that NHP is a resource, not only for our builders, but more importantly for our home builder associations across the country. That's where our builders interact 
most readily, right? It's in their neighborhoods and in their communities where they are before the planning commission, where they're worrying about codes. And so what are the resources NHV could bring to bear? We're always going to do advocacy. We're always going to continue to do it really well. But it's those other goods and services that we can bring to the members to show the value of membership, right? This is the association for you. And I'm always telling that because if we don't do it, I promise you someone else will. There is always someone who's happy to speak for housing. Could be allies of ours. Uh, and it certainly could be people who aren't really interested in building an affordable home for people. So if you want to be part of the biggest network of craftsmen and craftswomen creating the American dream, NHB is it. And the NHB Federation is, is there for you to help you succeed. Not only as a small businessman or small businessman, woman, but we're also here to help you build your communities. And that's really important to me. And it's important to the mission. It is the mission. <laughs> yeah. No, that's excellent. So as you're talking about that, it's, it sounds very similar to sort of, again, we're an association representing manufacturers within that supply chain. Right. That's very much our same mission too. It's like, we're trying to help people achieve the American dream. We're right. helping build this affordable housing network throughout the country, right? As we wrap up here, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of the interface between your members we know that through your member surveys that they're looking increasingly at sort of this off-site construction solutions right. uh, to help them solve some of their biggest challenges, whether it's uh, labor or building material, stability, that kind of thing. I'm wondering, what kind of advice would you give to today's uh, manufacturers of roof trusses, wall panels, floor trusses, mm -hmm. how they can best reach your members with like all the potential solutions that they can provide from design services to scheduling assistance to helping them further reduce cycle times. Yeah, and, and, and you said it right there. I mean, all of those things are what builders need, right? They, they're, back when I started, we started, you could build a home in probably about 90 days, average size home about 90 days. Now, now that's getting closer to eight months because oh, wow. of all the permitting and all the delays, right? So think of it, so think of it that way. If you can, build, if you can in your market, you can build a house in six months, you're, you're turning over faster and you're building more home. So I think that builders are always partnering with people, right? There's about 25 different trades on a job site through the course of a construction. I'm not saying we want to eliminate our friends in the trades, but if there's a way to lower that burden of labor, we're seeing more panelized and more trusses. Why? Because it's harder and harder to put a pile of two by fours on a job site and build it for crap, right? We're looking for efficiencies in the system and that's what your members bring. And that's really important, I believe, to our members those efficiencies, because efficiencies mean cycle times are lower, but more, more importantly, the costs are lower. And if you can, competition is huge in the home building industry, you, because you have a choice in every community. So if a builder wants to be successful, there's a solution right in front of you. Your members are providing that service. If you think about it, you mentioned labor. That's why I think the panelized world is going to be so important moving forward because as the labor crunch continues, especially if we start taking off over the next couple of years, labor is going to continue to be the labor is the lack of a skilled workforce in, in home construction is the single biggest drag on the industry over the next 10 years. If you think about it, interest rates will go down. Uh, we're going to see supply chains normalize, inflation will go, all the things that have been temporary, at least probably longer for more people, but, but labor will persist. And so any industry that can help reduce that burden, I think your members are absolutely poised to do that. That's going to be critical to our members. Have them out to the factory, show them what you can do, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it's great. There are very few entities in the supply chain that have that kind of asset, right? Of like, yep. we have this physical space where we're doing something and you can yep. see part of your house coming together. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. And I, I think there, there's a real opportunity here. And we, we say, what are the next technological advancements? And, and your members are part of that, right? That's three D printed houses. I've seen demonstrations. Okay, it's very cool, but you know the uptake is not there. I think what we're really going to see is that panelization and, and, and trust manufacturing. We've already seen that, and it's just going to accelerate into the future. Yeah, I think the way we think about that is that we're trying very hard to work within the builder's current system. Right? They bring all the trades, all the workers to the job site to assemble this house. Right. We're just taking out some of those steps that you talked about that. We're yeah. taking out the having to cut a bunk the lumber piece by piece, right? And letting machinery and advanced technology sort of do that perfectly. But you still have a lot of accommodation for all the creativity that home builder brings to wanting to provide a very unique yeah. uh, home situation for each owner, right? Yeah, custom homes are still completely possible in, in that scenario, right? It's not this yeah. cookie cutter scenario. So I just that's your members. I know they're critical to the success of the industry moving forward because they are innovating and because like you said, they're using technology more than perhaps uh, the, the rank and file member might be right now. Yeah. Hey, Jim, it has yeah. been a pleasure having oh, you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, anytime. Happy to come back and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. This is great. Thank you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.